I will say the biggest message I got in that moment was like, I am not holding back anymore. Like life is short. Like I will not stay quiet anymore. I will not stifle myself. But hearing, you know, other stories and in my work, I have to walk that fine line of being in sympathy, empathy, and being like, hey, let's let's get moving here. We don't want to stay stuck in this story anymore. Today's guest on the Third Place Podcast is Allison Rothman. Allison is a body-centered coach and wellness advocate, utilizing her extensive studies, experiences, and firsthand knowledge of the capacity within the human body and spirit to heal. Allison provides clients with the ability to access their inner resources and release debilitating life patterns in order to reclaim their body, mind, and heart connection. In addition to her one-on-one work, she facilitates retreats and groups, writes, speaks, and is the host of the podcast Embodied and Awake. We welcome you to explore the third place with us. It is an invitation to the gray space, a space where deeper connections are fostered through challenging, challenging, empowering, and and engaging dialogue. You will walk away with a deeper understanding of self, equipped to engage with others in life's complex conversations. Thank you for listening. We invite you in to the third place. So bringing Allison onto the podcast is such a treat for me. Allison and I became fast friends only a year ago, but we had innumerable exchanges nearly a decade ago when I ran a coffee and juice bar in Boulder. So welcome, my friend. Mm, thank you so much. This is fun. Very fun. And yes, I do like my beverages. So we <laughs> we had a lot of exchanges back then. Well, that's, yeah. a, that's a uniting factor in the third place. So it's really cool. So I'll give our listeners a little bit of context. A year ago, I guess maybe a year and a half ago now, I reached out to Allison because I just admired the work that you were doing with women and and I was like, I want to be a part of this. I was starting sort of my journey and moving away from the natural food space and into the world that you were in. And I said, I don't know how, but I want to support you. And I think that I reached out a couple of times on LinkedIn and then we ended up meeting at a coffee shop. And that was our first exchange that went beyond me being, you know, serving coffee or juice. And we ended up I think we cried, we laughed, like it was like supposed to be a 30 minute thing. Hour and a half later, we were, we were fast friends. Well, and believe it or not, I remember that too, because Mary uh, called me, like this is before we started working together and we were guiding each other through different transitions or whatever. And she goes, I just met the best new friend. And so I remember that I actually can see where I was driving when she told me uh, in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we, that was after our our first coffee date. That wasn't even like as it, it evolved. It was literally the first because I, I think I even acknowledged to you that I was proud of myself for following my intuition and then feeling like that was satisfied in a way that, you, you know, often doesn't land. If that's not the full embodiment of what the third place is and the power of beverage and the power of coming together over a drink and sharing um, things in common, I don't know what it is. So that's yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it was it was a beautiful moment. I, I think neither of us really wanted it to end. And I just was like, wow, there's there's something magical almost exactly a year ago. And yeah, we were at a restaurant, no masks, no nothing. You know, it was just this just beautiful time of being out. I'm like, God, I wish I had like eaten more. And you know, <laughs> I was like, I don't even think I ordered any food. I think we just had a drink, you know, we but had I martinis. Was like, we had martinis and it was great. But I was, you know, yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a pivotal moment. And, and to me, that solidifies, you know, our connection. To me, your, your somatic work, it, that really just like leads me to why we brought you on and that you have this, this special gift for helping people recognize the, the powerful communication tool that is your body and Mm -hmm. how to use that to your advantage to really expedite the work that we do in our heads and our minds. And how can we bring it from a more holistic embodied approach? So I know that a lot of that comes from a lot of stories of trauma and how weird to think that something uh, traumatic could actually inspire such beautiful work. But I know that there's one pivotal moment in, in specific that I am looking forward to having you share right now with our audience. Wonderful. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I feel like I need to mention that that this work really started, you know, 25 years ago when I was in treatment because, you know, I had already been a yoga practitioner in undergrad, but I was very addicted and very dysfunctional. And so going into this treatment center, it was a holistic program. So I was really able to feel the power and potential of bringing in all these different uh, modalities, which were all in essence, body centered. I mean, we did have some talk therapy. We were, you know, definitely in group therapy and, and individual therapy, but it was all about dropping us into our bodies so that we could heal in a way that was just not possible when you're just talking, right? So having that, you know, we had body work, we had energy work, we had acupuncture, we had art therapy, we had nutrition, um, dance, movement, you know, nature, all of it. So I feel like that was kind of the um, nucleus of what was, you know, has has been in process now for all those years. And, and so and just to back up, though, Allison, your recovery of eating disorder, eating disorder recovery, um, you know, and subsequent depression. And, you know, I definitely had some addiction to substances. And, um, but the eating disorder was kind of like the foundational and what really propelled me to seek help. So, you know, fast forward so many different events. And, and, you know, as you mentioned, there was definitely this one highly traumatizing moment. Um, just recent, you know, it's been three, Three years, um, I was traveling alone in Mexico and um, was witness to a hit by the Mexican drug cartel and found myself hiding under a bed and, you know, not knowing if I was going to live. And it was, I'll never forget the first moment, the first gunshot, it was the middle of the day, you know, 3.30 in the afternoon. I'm sipping a margarita, you know, as, as you do in Mexico. And the, I, I happened to be one of the only, I was the only tourist in, in this particular venue. 
But I had this moment of like, oh my God, like it sounded like a, a bomb had gone off. And it was right during that time where people were like setting off bombs, like in group events. And, you know, there were like all these mass shootings. And I had this moment of like feeling so anchored in myself. I was so present. It almost snapped me out of any kind of trance of being in the living in the past or the future. I was so present. And I had this moment literally of laughing at myself, like, wow, all these years of meditation are finally <laughs> paying off. Like, here I am. Like, this is, this is what's, um, being presented to me. And, you know, I feel as though I stayed so awake during the entire unfolding. And obviously I did emerge from the bed. I did make, make my way home. And, but in that moment of pending death, I felt more alive than I ever have before. I was so present. I was so awake. I was so in my body. And I knew in that moment that I was, everything was okay. I was, I was fine. Even if I didn't live, that I was fine, that I was exactly where I was supposed to be. And that is something that I have certainly searched for since being back, you know, and it has taken several years of digesting. I do not have PTSD from this event, which is so interesting to me because I know that I did my work. I was, all of my years of practice culminated in that moment. And therefore I was so present. I don't have the PTSD that I do have from other events that I checked out of. So yeah. Well, and it seems like, I mean, I'm hearing a lot of that story and, and the disorders and, you know, there were these like micro moments of trauma that all added up to really working, right? So through that work, you've had to listen to your body and be more aware of your body. But it does sound like then it did set you up so that when there was this instant intense trauma moment, you were able to tap into presence really well. I, to me, it just, it feels like, and, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this, but trauma is just obviously a heavy word and I don't want to downplay it, but it does seem like it's a part of our life and it's, it's an important part to be aware of and to utilize in some way as a gift. Like how do we, how do you tap into that moment while also doing the work of what is needed to get through trauma? Yeah. I mean, I think trauma is, part of our lives, you know, I mean, it can be going to the hospital with your child. And that is trauma it can be having a really hard conversation with somebody or somebody saying something to you that that really gets into your into your heart into your body, it feels really icky, you know, that is trauma. But it's it becomes this opportunity to resource ourselves in our bodies. Because from that place, when we are anchored in our center, in our, in our root, we, we can respond in a way that doesn't penetrate us. It doesn't like collapse us. So, you know, that's really been my passion, you know, since going through, and we only touched on this one, but going through these consecutive, highly traumatizing events is to support others in coming into such a deep relationship with their bodies that they can take the deep breaths and feel themselves and respond from that place. They can stay connected even when there's 
gunk coming at them of varying degrees. Um, yes, my example is extreme. I mean, not everybody goes through a near-death experience in their lives. And to be in a foreign country by myself, you know, was was massive. But I cycled it through me in a way that it didn't embed. And that's where we get stuck as a culture, as humans, is when we suppress things. And, you know, addiction is like the perfect example. We stuff things down our throats. We suppress things. We don't feel them. And then they really embed in us and they become part of us rather than just just like a story that has been in, in our past. They become how we move through the world. So does that make sense? Oh, it makes total sense. I think it's even the first time I've heard you say that so eloquently, like the opportunity to resource ourselves. I think that that's a positive twist on what trauma can be. And I also love the normalizing that everyone experiences trauma. It's not like, oh, did you have trauma? I was talking to someone the other day and it was, oh, it was, you know, my new therapist. And he was just like, it doesn't matter that there's an element of trauma for every child, whether the the childhood you had was quote unquote, or on paper, beautifully perfect in what some, uh, context of society would would deem normal and and secure and supportive and that that doesn't change that in our experience like what you said like it can be as it can be very simple it's an agitating experience that can i think hearing you say the difference between how actually being present with it prevents the embedding. So prevents that sort of muscle memory that you then carry on that the that the story defines you rather than the story is a part of you. Yeah, it also feels like there's this when something bad happens to you, that memory is, is very sticky versus when something is very good, you have to like pause and remember. Like, uh, you know, we just talked about how, you know, I could remember when Mary told me about meeting you. And I don't like, how did, how did I make that stick? Was it because it was someone that I cared about? Uh, you know, was it, why was that positive memory sticky? So I just have, I'm sure there's lots of questions around that, but honestly, I know the answer to that. <laughs> what's the answer? <laughs> because I was coming out of oh, yeah. a, a traumatizing experience. I mm. had lost work in an environment that was very, very toxic and, um, unhealthy. And so I think to, you know, I think that probably what you were able to tap into was that you there, this was a part of that story still, because it was a, a sense of relief. And like the light at the end of the tunnel was like, oh, right, like, you are in this risky coming out of trauma. And this is that's why it was pivotal. That's my guess is because you knew the power of any exchange at that time that was positive, because there was so much proceeding that was negative and painful for me at that point. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. But you know, the, the one thought that also just really, I kept coming to while you were telling that uh, story just a moment ago was um, it's like these small moments of trauma are opportunities, or even when life is good, that is the opportunity to be putting into these re- self-reflective practices you know, and we, like, usually we don't respond or we don't feel the need to respond about different things in our life unless we have to. And these, these bigger traumas may not require our attention versus how do we use the space when life is 
pretty good or when the traumas aren't very monumental, when they're these micro traumas. Honestly, it makes me think that I need to implement <laughs> yoga reflective practices for me. <laughs> so the, and, medi- and, and meditation, meditation right? That's, that's been an overwhelming theme, no doubt. So, but now's the time to do it while life is pretty good, while the traumas that I'm experiencing are small. Yeah. yeah I mean, I certainly. It's much harder in, I mean, this is what's coming to me, you know, when working with clients, if I'm working with a client who's in high gear, you know, high trauma, high like reactivity to get her to slow down and sit down for meditation, it's like, it's impossible, you know, and, you know, it's the mentality of like, well, I tried and I couldn't do it. So I, you know, it's just not for me. It's, it doesn't work, you know. But if there's somebody who is, and personally, you know, when we are in kind of, we're kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of just rolling with life to, that's the moment to really bring these practices in that will sustain because, we know as a human, there's going to be a, a, a speed bump. I mean, it's going to happen, right? How big it is, we don't know. But why not use those opportunities when you're kind of just, co- you know, coasting to drop deeper in? And, you know, to me, I, I truly, with every ounce of me, do not believe that we can heal without gaining the capacity to feel our emotions and to feel them in a way that we don't get stuck in them. You know, we're not stuck in the muck of them, but to learn how to keep circulating them and meditation, yoga, movement, um, just conscious breathing practices. Um, you know, it's kind of endless, but anything that keeps us into our body, keeps us anchored and we can cycle the emotions through. So seize the moment when you feel quote unquote good to bring in these opportunities to um, deepen in yourself. Yeah. And and I feel like deepening is like you're sort of saying to be even just so present. And I'm wondering about your experience in Mexico. What about that? Like, what were you actually doing in that moment to keep you there, fully there? Good question. Good question. I don't know, (laughs) to be honest, you know, I mean, all I know is that I was able to stay present. And so all I can say is that my decades of work, decades of practice, all those hours of sitting on the cushion and it was never, it was not like an easy ride. You know, I was up, down, all around, lots of, you know, depression and emotion, but anxiety, all of it. But all those practices kept me grounded in that moment. And I just felt this overwhelming sense of peace. It was like in that moment, so much flashed through me. And I was, really, truly, I wasn't emotional. I was just at peace, which I think as humans, we we strive for, we're always searching for it. And it just came so naturally to me. So even emerging, it was like eyes were wide open. I was there. And I ended up being support to all these um beautiful Mexican people who were, they're like, this happens every other week. 
around here. You know, wow. in tears, I was putting my hands on people's body. There was a woman shaking. I went up and I put my hands on her and just took some deep breaths with her. You know, people were sharing their um, their stories with me. And, you know, I was, and again, I was the only tourist and I knew any other tourist would have lost their shit, you know, completely lost their shit. I didn't. And I, I was like, I felt like I was like brought there. It was just, you know, as like kind of fucked up as it is. Like I felt like I was supposed to be there. So I think that that in combination with all the practices is what kept me present. I'm just like, I'm so struck by that because I didn't know that you then became what is now the essence of your work in that moment. And that, you know, was that sort of the example or the experience that then led you to do the work that you do because it really gave you the confidence or know-how that this is something that I am capable of? Yeah, I mean, just, I just want to stack on that you had this traumatic moment, but your one of your instincts was to then surround the whole community of people who had also had that traumatic experience and you were able to bring a presence to them that maybe they weren't able to tap into. So it does seem like your work had a moment of beginning at that time. Yeah, I hadn't even really thought about that, to be honest. I mean, for me on a personal level, it was just a huge wake-up call of um, feeling like I had been living in um, this just disconnected space due to, you know, some stuff with my son's dad. And um, so it, it you know, I, I'm always like that first gunshot, like it was like a clap. And I was like, boom, here I am, you know. And so I had already been working in that field in various capacities. But yes, something definitely shifted in that moment and really solidified that moment. And yes, it gave me, you know, I think all of our life experiences build our confidence. If we, if we look at it that way, you know, or they can defeat us too, but to make the choice to take that, the medicine from that. And like, I mean, I came back. That's when the trauma happened, when I came back, because I was like, Oh my God, how do I relate to anybody now? Anybody. Because I'm like, I just had this massive experience. I can never explain to anybody really the magnitude of it. How do I fit back into society in a way that is in alignment with who I am now? Because I am not the same person. And I think that that's why it's taken me several years to really step in in this way of like, oh, I know I can hold space for people because of that, that alone. Yes, everything else, but that alone was like, Yeah, I guess it sealed the deal. Yeah, I I love hearing the evolution of that and knew that we were also getting to a point, though, too, that for a part of me, when I think about healers and space holders, doesn't mean that you're not also experiencing it's like you can compartmentalize is a feeling that I have. And so I was going to ask you about, you know, of course, it was, you know, it was going to surface at some point. What we've all heard of is that animals, when they go through trauma, they, the, they physically shake it off. And that's something that we've inhibited as a, as a more human race. And I want to know, like, how did it translate in your body for you? And what did you do to nurture it? Yeah, it was not easy. It was not pretty, you know, I'm going to be straight up. And I did a lot of writing um, when I came back and I wrote down 
my, I wrote down my entire journey down there because when I look back, like the days leading up to it, the moments leading up to it, and there's a big story about, it's like I knew because, so the other piece of this is there were five people murdered from a place that I had just come from. And I knew I had this intuition that I needed to leave. And literally it was a half an hour later is where they, this guy opened fire. So there were just these like step by step. And to me, it was like building my intuition, but coming back, I had, all I could do was write because I had to still be a mom. <laughs> you know, I had to still engage with the world. I tried to express this story to people, but nobody, I mean, you just, it's just not something you can take in. With my body, you know, I felt like I was really in a place of protection. Like I didn't feel the spaciousness. I actually felt really contracted when I came back. It happened to be middle of winter here in Colorado. So it was freezing, but it was also a, um, you know, there was this pulling in, there was this protection, there was this contraction. And I think I actually needed it in order to integrate, because I think anytime we go through something massive, there has to be that like kind of incubation time before we're ready to be back out into the world. So I really pulled it in and really, you know, closed in my circle a lot and was very protective of my energy. But I can't really say that I kept it, kept it cycling. Like I think I, I stagnated for a while before I felt comfortable enough to be able to, you know, step back out into the world from this, this place of, of integration and alignment. Yeah. And it sounds very similar to like a culture shock. You know, you, uh, many people who, who would go to a different country or see extreme poverty, they might get that culture shock moment at that time. But I know a lot of people, and this happened to me, I didn't get culture shock until I came back and I saw my normal life. So you're not around poverty, but you had this, you were in this experience where it happens on a regular basis to the community that was in, you experienced it with them to, to then come back and then couldn't relate to the experience, sharing that experience with other people. So it does sound like, Oh, I couldn't. Yeah. It sounds like the, the writing work and the introspective work that you needed was a way to kind of see yourself out of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll just add in like the, the shock started when I got to the airport, you know, and all these like hungover tourists were there, you know, it's like, the, it was the Cabo San Lucas airport. And, you know, and I'll never, I'll just share this story. I'll never forget. Like, I mean, I was like, I was in a state of trauma in that, you know, in the airport and, and on the verge of a, like emotional, like I needed to cry, you know, and some guy asked me, some guy was behind me in the line and he was like, Oh, do you have a good time? I was like, well, I was hiding under a, a bed in a Mexican hotel room while the um, cartel opened fire. And his face <laughs> was like, <laughs> like, holy shit. Holy shit. And I was like, okay, in that I moment. He remembers that moment. <laughs> too. Oh, I'm sure. But in that moment, I was like, I'm not speaking to another person. I'm not talking to another person. I'm, I need to zip it and stay in my own zone. But the emotion really came up in the airport, on the plane, on the way home is when, you know, the people sitting next to me were probably like, whoa, because I just, I had held it together because I needed to, you know, I was in this very vulnerable state. So, um, you know, it's layers. 
it's all layers, you know, and unwinding from any trauma is it's layer by layer and, um, hold, holding it together, quote unquote, is appropriate in certain moments, but we don't want to stay in that. That's the key is that we have to keep the energy moving. So for me, the crying and the writing and, and coming back into my body was, was pivotal. And so that I don't, don't have the PTSD. Yeah, you were still in survival mode. And then when you were didn't have to be in survival mode anymore, that's when everything was able to come out. Mm-hmm. But also you allowed, like, I feel like you gave yourself permission that to me, it, the work that you did prior was you giving yourself permission to zip up, to be totally guarded and to be able to hold that space. So it served you in that time. And then you could, you could move uh, through it rather than sort of take it on with you and keep it on your shoulder and have this little dusty treasure box that you come come along with. Mm-hmm. And I've heard a lot about with near-death experiences that it's hard to relate and come back into society that it becomes this thing where you're like, God, like what a what a first world problem you're you're dealing with, right? And that can be really hard to be like, man, we're just speaking two different languages and there is something to be said about this to me is the distinction between sympathy and empathy that can be challenging um, for that that is trying to move through the trauma. And and you have to be not only doing the work of zipping and then unzipping at any given moment, but you also have to be okay with not being having your needs emotional needs or physical needs or whatever being met because they can't bridge the gap between that sympathy and empathy. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it it puts a lot into perspective, we'll just say, you know, and I think that learning how to relate to society, you know, in this Western world has been, it's been different. It's been a very, very enlightening experience for me to how do I stay in my own zone and hold that medicine that I gained, you know, because I will say the biggest message I got in that moment was like, I am not holding back anymore. Like life is short. Like did I ever in my life when I chose to go to, Ma- I, I travel alone all the time, never. But I was like, I will not stay quiet anymore. I will not stifle myself. Do I still have moments of forgetting? Absolutely. But yes, but hearing, you know, other stories and in my work, I have to walk that fine line of being in sympathy, empathy, and being like, hey, let's, let's get moving here. You know, like, we don't want to stay stuck in this story anymore. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But for me to say that, people don't, it doesn't really land all that well. So I really have to walk that. But I do think like the uh, part of the beauty of this story is the experience you bring, you know, mm-hmm. to not just trauma, but, and this is not just the only story either of extreme trauma, Yeah, where you can lean into that experience, you can lean into what you're and your body did good and not great. And, you know, and you can be a guide for other people, both in those extreme moments of trauma or dealing with extreme pieces of trauma, as well as these micro traumas that we all go through. Where can people find more of your work? And, you know, how can they plug in and be engaged as, as we work through what we need to do with our body and through trauma? Yeah. So my website is um, embodymylife.com. And I work one-on-one with primarily women, but um, I'm starting to 
branch into the realm of men as well uh, in uh, body-centered holistic coaching. I also run a women's program called the Acceptance Circle that is um, a combination of group and individual coaching. Um, and I have a podcast called Embodied and Awake, um, which is, uh, you know, opening up a lot of different dialogues that I'm, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Man, I, I can't tell you how many notes I wrote that you put such beautiful words to what you do and what you experience that I'd never heard before. So I'm, I'm just really grateful because I think that, you know, even though we're fast friends and we've had such a solid friendship in such a short amount of time, this experience interviewing you and bringing you into the third place has been really such a blessing for myself and I know David too. Mm, thank you. Thank That's you. Awesome. Such an honor. You know, I, I really have not shared this story much, so, and not in this, this, at this level. So I'm, I'm very grateful for your um, platform of allowing me to. Well, and another thing that's fun is that both Mary and I have been individually on your podcast. So I know. Fun. I love it. So, I know. Nice little plug, David. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just, your, your podcast provides a space that we can also go there mm -hmm. and, and do an extension of this, this depth of work. So thanks again, Allison. Be well. third place podcast is produced by podcast publishing house if you like what you're hearing follow us and subscribe at all of your favorite platforms apple spotify also check out the episodes on our website thirdplacepodcast.com for additional resources and transcriptions of our episodes the third place is all about continuing the conversation so make sure you follow us on instagram and facebook at third place podcast there you can check out our weekly co-host happy hours on IGTV. And if you like what you're hearing and want to continue to support our work, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash third place podcast.